This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Amen. Well, you notice the title of the message today. Do you know who your church family is? And we're going to be talking about that in great detail from the Bible a little bit. And, uh, you know, we're not trying to recruit people into this church. But we're helping people who are in the family of God to know what church that God has for them. That's going to be really good. But I tell you, uh, when you're in the right family, it's so easy to receive the blessings of God, to go through things that uh, everybody goes through, but to go through them much more easily when you're in the right family. And, and for that, uh, Pastor Dave, we, we want to pray for couple of our church members today. Is, is Michael here? Did, yeah, the Michael, Michael Eckman here. Did he, is he upstairs right now? The other Michael, the other Michael. I don't see him. I don't see him. Left section, left section. Oh, way back there. I'm looking up here. I see him back there. Mike, Michael, we want to pray for you before you make your big move, because that's a big move. We know that. Could you come up here let us pray for you? And... Uh, Amen. Amen. Any of your other family here? Oh, have some back there? Okay. 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 Yeah. We want to pray for your family. Michael's been with us for how how long you been here, Michael? A couple years. That's what I thought. And anyway, long story short, he, he has a business in Las Vegas. And he's been driving back and forth every day to his job, being at her, taking care of his family and things like that. And he's finally got the release, the blessing, the time to be able to move up there and have a home in Las Vegas and be able to be much more time for his family and everything. But uh, Michael's been a faithful church member here, part of our family, part of our church. He and his wife, uh, Antoinette, in, in, in guard duty today. Okay, well, busy taking care, taking care of family business. We want to pray for him. And this is what part of being in the church family is about. you got a family surrounds you with love, surrounds you with prayer, and it stands, stands by you through times of transition and times of crisis and everything like that. But he asked, he asked me about it. Do I know any good churches up there? So I talked about one that's a whole lot like ours, and they're up there. We know the pastor's up there, a really good church family. Uh, they're part of the Brother Hagen, Brother Copeland type people like we are. So I know that you check them out and you'll find out if that's yours or not. You'll know. But anyway, we want to pray for them today in this transition. And uh, just stand your hands this way. Michael, turn around this way. Amen. Amen. Amen, David. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. We know the number one part of the plan of God for every life is to be born again. And then after we're born again, we know, Lord, you want people to be in the right church family, have the right pastor, the people they could hook up with, be a part of. And so, Lord, we just want to thank you as, as Michael, Antoinette, and the families making this transition that you already know who their family is, who their pastor is in Las Vegas. And, Lord, if it's the church that I, that I told them about, that amen and so be it, but I don't know, only you do, and they'll have to know. So, Lord, as they get up there in this transition, we pray that it'll all be smooth, things will go well, 
And Father, also for the spiritual part, the number one most important part, you will show them in this season who their pastor is, who their family is. They'll be able to get connected, be able to be a part of it, be fed, be able to serve up there much more easily than here because he won't be on the road all the time. And Lord, we just want to thank you for your blessing on every aspect of the business, the family, the children, and the foster care things they do, Lord. All these different things that you've got them doing, Lord. They'll be able to do this with the grace of God and their house, Lord. Thank you. It's going to be a blessing. It's going to be the right place at the right time. And the main thing is, Lord, we want to thank you. This family is going to live out their days, raise their children in the will of God and the blessing of God. The business be that much more blessed. Thank you in Jesus' name, Lord, for your grace. Amen. 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 Michael, been glad to know you guys for a short time. but I appreciate it. Amen. You're welcome. You're welcome. Amen. And we got one more man we want to pray for. Uh, he's been with us for, what, a couple of years maybe? Yeah, yeah. A couple of years. Clarence, we're going to go back to him instead of Clarence coming to us because it would be easier to pray for Clarence where he sits at. But uh, the first story I heard about Clarence, did anybody ever watch any of the old cowboy shows or old Western history ever hear of the Dalton gang? Okay, well, Clarence's family, his, like probably his granddad, and since Clarence is almost 90 years old, I think he's 86 years old, 87, 87 years old. I would say that his dad was the offspring of the original Dalton gang back then. And the story here about Clarence is that his family, way back in the early 1900s, had to change their name because people didn't like the Dalton gang very well. They had a bad reputation, seen things about him. But anyway, that's where Clarence came from. But Clarence... He's been a wonderful, wonderful man at this church for the last couple of years. And he's been, well, yeah, he went through classes, I, I don't know, a year ago probably. But Clarence has been going through a transition. It's been a very rough transition. And now he's getting to move to Kansas to be close to his sister, to get to live out the last season of his life around family members. That's so good. But I really don't think that would have happened if it wasn't for this church family. And I'm not lifting up this church, but when I teach the Word of God, you're going to see why it's so important to be in the right family that God has for you as far as your spiritual family. But I know a lot of people in this church, several, I don't know how many, don't know all the who's, but a lot of people helped Clarence go through a lot of medical things the last season, a lot of government red tape things the last season, and a lot of things to keep him hooked up with the right health care providers, a lot of things, and then finally get the transition to Kansas to still be under the different safeguards he has through the government and the systems from Etc., etc., but it wouldn't have happened without this church family being by his side. I want to say it again I'm not glorifying the church family, but when we teach the Word of God, you'll see the importance of being in the right church family that cares about you, that helps you take you through things. But we want to go back, we want to pray for Clarence, because this is a pretty big deal. When you're 87 years old and moving that far like that, we want to pray for you, Clarence. Pastor Dave, you've been really on the inner work as if you like to do the praying. All right, we're going to pray for Clarence, and he's been, Clarence and I have been pretty close the last year or so, and uh, and he's just, he's an awesome blessing. He loves the Lord, and the stories he's told me, it's been, it's been, it's been wonderful, and um, I just want to, a lot of people have helped, but Leanne has, and Norma both have really stepped up, but Leanne, guys, she's, she's going to escort him all the way to Kansas, so I just want to, you know, 
that deserves a little recognition. That's a pretty big deal. So Leanne, uh, a, a fellow veteran, is going to get him to the veterans' home there, which is just that's a lot of love. So. Thank you, Leanne. You're awesome. But let's pray for Clarence. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for Clarence, Lord, and the Christian man that he's been for you for so many years. And, and God, he's only been a part of our church family for a year or two here, Lord. And, and I know that, uh, that you just really put it on his heart to be a blessing to us, God. And, uh, and, and we just, we pray, Lord, that as he, makes this move back to Kansas, Lord, where he was raised, that your hand of blessing will be all over this. The entire trip will be perfect, Lord. Safety for him and Leanne, Lord, and provision uh, for every every part of the journey, God. And I thank you that he's going to be able to uh, be with his sister and everything over there, and he's going to live out his days and be a good testimony for you there, Father. We thank you that your hand is on him, and you've brought him this far, Lord, so you've still got some good things for him to do. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. Well, we love Clarence, Amen. <laughs> Thank you, guys. You're glad to be a part of this church family, Amen. I am, I am, and uh, I, I, I want to say it again. I'm not, I'm not teaching this because I'm recruiting church members. That's the last thing I'd ever do. I'm a pastor, Jeremiah 3.15, God said, I'll give you pastors with my heart. That'll feed you of knowledge and understanding. I'm a pastor that's yielded to God, and I have God's anointing in me and God's love in me to help people. And so, my, my whole life is built around helping people to get victory in life, helping people to win in life, helping people to be all God wants them to be. And so, when I do that, I'm, help, I'm helping the body of Christ to grow, and when the body of Christ grows, uh, that it just makes sense to me that our church will grow too. So I'm not, I'm not enjoying the, growing the church business, I've been growing the believer business. And when believers grow, they listen to God. And when, and when believers listen to God and serve and love and do what God wants them to do, they may be a part of the church, or I'm talking about the local church here, or they may not be, but the main thing is, like, like the Ekmans, uh, helping help them be where God wants them to be, that they're going to be a blessing to the church in Las Vegas, whatever God hooks them up with. And just like Clarence, Clarence is going to be a blessing wherever he goes because we're helping people be where they're supposed to be. And so anyway, our title is, Do You Know Who Your Church Family Is? Do you know who your church family is? And that's, re- that's really important. And it's not talking about uh, High Desert Word Center. Do you know who your church family is where you go to church? But it's, do you know who God wants your church family to be, where you're supposed to be at? Do you need an outline? If you need a sermon outline, hold up your hand. And the usher's ready to stick one right in your hand. Sermon outline's coming. And I want to show you some things that our church family has to help you grow. Number one, uh, a Brother Hagen book, Welcome to God's Family. Welcome to God's Family. And this book here is not teaching about joining a church. But it has several short sermons in it of what we preach here. We preach faith. We preach the new birth. We preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost. By the way, Wednesday night we had our church family came together. Our lights got turned off by Edison in the big building. Stuff got turned off, so we got things together. We have different types of units in the smaller building, so we had our Wednesday night service in the smaller building. But anyway, our church family was here, got things together, got us over there. And then the Lord had me teaching on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we had three adults that were baptized in the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. 
And you need to know your church family is a tongue-talking church. And then also this, this book teaches about tithing, serving a lot of things. And so this is a really good book because if God hooks you in a church family, it's a certain church, you need to know what the pastors believe. You need to know what the church family believes to see if you're in the right church where you want to be. And so that book really teaches well on that. And so Brother Hagen was my primary spiritual mentor that influenced me more than anybody about the things that I do and I believe. And then Dr. Barclay's book here, Building a Supernatural Church, Building a Supernatural Church. Dr. Barclay is our pastor today. He has a church in Midland, Michigan, but actually he's a pastor to pastors. He has hundreds, if not over a thousand different pastors and churches that submit to him for his covering, for his leadership, for, for, for him just being our, our, our covering, our protector, our blesser, the one I can go to for godly counsel and wisdom for things I face in life as a pastor. But he's really a great man of God. But this book's building a supernatural church. And, you know, for all the different type things there are in the world today in the late days, there's a lot of churches in America that are not supernatural churches. They're man-made works. And I'm not throwing stones or condemning them, but I know that when you're in a supernatural church, people get healed. People get saved. People get delivered. People love one another. And I think about the times that some of these guys going through, like, like Claire said, his time of life. That's a supernatural thing to have people that barely know somebody to lay down their lives to help them go on in life. Somebody that will move on they'll never see again till heaven. But doing that, the supernatural love of God, to me, that's a supernatural church when people get that kind of help. And then also something else back there. This is not going to be on the screen, but these are a bunch of these are on the booth out there called Never Again Cards. Well, we're going to say in the Word of God a little bit that our church really believes, really believes in your words that what you say matters. Really believes that uh, what the Word of God teaches. If the Word of God says, by Jesus' stripes you were healed... But you need to be confessing that you're healed. The Word of God teaches you can have what you say Jesus does. And so this card back here, when I, when I, when I got hooked up with my first pastor back in 1980, they had these way back in 1980, and they gave these out to people all the time. Well, I've kept that for 40 years. I, I give these things out to people because it's confessing the Word of God. We're a Word of Faith church. And we teach you what the Bible says. You need to talk what the Bible says. If you want the promises the Bible says are yours. Anyway, these are free. They're on the information booth back there. And if you want one, get one. Get two or three, whatever you want to get. Carry those with you. When I was a young Christian truck driver, before I was a pastor, I carried these little cards with me. When I was driving a truck, I didn't read them while I was driving the truck. But in between driving the truck, I was in warehouses and factories and places where I was sitting down waiting to unload my truck. Had nothing but hand. I sit there. Praying. I had a New Testament I carried. I'd read my little Bible, but I had little things like this, little tools. I'd pull these out. I'd read them out loud, and they helped me renew my mind, helped me get faith in my heart to be able to have and do what all God wanted me to do. And you know, I think about Mrs. Pastor. We was, I, I guess I was it last time we was talking about something. We remembered our early life. Oh, I know what it was. We was watching an old-time movie made in 1945 yesterday. And in the movie, there was a girl that had polio and went through some things. And we just cried and cried and cried. And I didn't know why that I realized when my son David, this little short guy in the front row, was three and a half years old, he was crippled. 
and he had leukemia. And I went to a Word of Faith church like this. They taught me about healing. They taught me about getting people healed. They taught me about Jesus, one doesn't live long and live strong. And I recalled the day in the children's hospital in Indianapolis when he was laying there crippled. And they had a specialist doctor they'd been waiting on for a few days to come in and see my son. While he laid there on the little gurney thing in the hallway, waiting for that doctor, all of a sudden he jumped up off that bed. And he couldn't walk, but he jumped up off that bed. He down stepped down the hallway for an hour. Three and a half years old, singing a Christian song, dancing, and the head doctor over blood diseases, he was sitting there and he saw him because he had leukemia too. And that doctor walked out of his office there and he'd been writing in a thing. I saw him walk out and go, chewed on his glasses like that, said, frankly, my son, you baffle me, my boy. He said, frankly, my boy, you baffle me. And I saw him, and David kept on dancing and singing. And I saw, I saw the man walk back in his little office there. The door was open. We were sitting there in the hallway waiting on this other specialist to get there. And I knew what was going on. I knew what we was believing happened, that Jesus healed the cripple. And et cetera. And I walked back in there. And I wasn't, I wasn't there. I wasn't there to preach to the doctor or the hospital. I was there because my son needed help and I was doing all I knew to do. And so I went back in there and I just said, excuse me, sir. I said, I just heard you say you're baffled. Well, I'm here. Maybe I can help you, but I'm not here to try to preach at you. I wasn't a preacher yet. I was a Christian. I said, I said, I'm a, I'm a born again Christian. And I said, I don't just believe that Jesus is my savior. I believe that Jesus is also our healer. And so I said, well, you're taking all those notes because I'm writing and writing, writing. I said, I just want you to consider that maybe Jesus just healed my son. And he said, those things do happen. I started writing again. Well, within a week, within a week, the doctors told me there was no leukemia in his blood. And at that point in time, I went, I, I was a member of a 500 member church in Indianapolis, and uh, I taught healing school with a cancer doctor who happened to work with those cancer doctors. I taught side by side with the cancer doctor. We taught healing. And so anyway, I talked to my, 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 my uh, colleague at the, at the church, and he said they went, to a, they went to a retreat with all the doctors talking about different things. He said the topic of the conversation the whole weekend was the samples kid. He said they were, said they were all totally confused because we were diagnosed with blood cancer and chemotherapy starts when she was doing chemotherapy. Chemotherapy, first of all, kills off the cancer cells, but why it's doing that kills off a lot of healthy blood cells too because they, 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 they blitz everything they can and they have to kill a lot of healthy cells to make sure they get the cancer. And so then he said it takes six months for mature blood cells to be in the blood again. It takes six months for the blood to come back around as that he was weeks into diagnosis, and the blood test showed mature blood cells back already. Had baby blood cells, mature blood cells, but they talked about this whole weekend. What's going on here? We don't understand what's going on. Anyway, I said that to say this. We're a church that absolutely believes in divine healing and divine health. And, you know, all the blessings of God we teach about, Here's the way I, I see it. Brother Hagin taught me this. If there's ever a problem in receiving what the Bible says is yours, it's never on God's end. It's always on our end. 
And so you may know somebody, you wonder why they didn't get it. You ever wonder, well, what's going on? Well, sometimes men have to make adjustments. Women have to make adjustments. You have to be willing to change some things you believe, how you live, or things you do, etc., etc. But John 10, we believe, is the divided, divided line of the Bible. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, The thief cometh not before to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He said, Come, that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. And the Amplified Bible says that you might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the fold till it overflows. And so we don't base our experiences in our church, our, 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 our received from God in our church based upon somebody else's experiences, what they got or didn't got, didn't get. We base what we believe on the Word of God. If the Bible says it's ours, it's ours. If it's not showing up yet and somebody's got to change, God said, I'm God, I change not. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we as believers have to get our noses in the Bible and not become religious, but become renewed in our minds. Because the more, the more that God works in you, the more love you're going to have and the less of a condemner you're going to be. Religious people condemn people. God never condemns. God helps. God will point out things in our life. He wants us to change, but he won't condemn us. The Holy Spirit will convict us. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction, conviction puts it in your heart. You need to change and shows you how to change. Condemnation judges you, but never shows you a way out. I want to say that again. It's so easy as human beings to see people living wrong, doing wrong, and just throw stones at them. What did Jesus tell that woman caught in adultery? He didn't pick up any stones. He said, woman, he said, I'm not going to condemn you, but go and sin no more. He said, turn your life around. And Jesus is the one who showed her how to turn it around. So anyway, that's the kind of church we are. We want to help people. And everything we do is in the area of help. Now, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Where's the cheerleading squad? Does somebody call Robert and Susan for me? Call Jesse and Desiree. Get somebody in here that's excited this morning. It's not that hot in here. The Word of God's your answer. That's your life. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Okay, wake up. All right. And so 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this. Now you are the body of Christ, and members in particular are, the Greek says, members individually. He says, we are the body of Christ. And each one of us is a member of the body of Christ. And when you read this chapter here, coming up to this, he's talking about a physical body has eyes, ears, nose, arms, legs, feet, smell, uh, every sight, hearing, everything you think of makes up a body. And he says that his body has different members that do different things, but they're all part of the body. And so... This verse right here calls us members of the body of Christ. And so I want to say this. I started off at a Pentecostal church. 
But then at 9.30, Monday through Friday, on the radio, Brother Hagen, Brother Kenneth E. Hagen, had his faith lessons taught. And as a young Christian truck driver, baby, a baby Christian, I was in the Pentecostal church, but I began to hear Brother Hagen teach. And I began to hear Brother Kenneth Copeland teach. And I was inspired that God had more for me than what the Pentecostals did. And I'm not putting down on Pentecostals at all. I wouldn't do that. I started off at that Pentecostal church, but I knew, I knew that there was things that God had for me that I wasn't hearing. I knew there's things that he had for me that the Pentecostals, for where they were, they didn't have what Brother Hagin, Brother Copeland was teaching. And so God led me, God led me to a Word of Faith church with a man named Pastor Jerry Landry uh, the first Sunday the first Sunday of September 1980. I got born again in January, the first Sunday of September. I'd been seeking God for a couple of months about Lord, and I loved the Pentecostals. I loved them. my brothers and sisters in the Lord, but we're going to say the Word of God, that God has a particular place for a believer. And so I loved them, but I knew God had something more for me. I knew that, I knew that what Brother Hagin was teaching, what Brother Copeland was teaching, was what I wanted to hear, what I believed, what I was saying the Word of God for myself, and so I was praying, and the Lord sent me to Pastor Jerry Landry. As a matter of fact, those cards I just showed you, that's one of the first things he gave me. These cards he said, you learn, to, you learn to need how to talk right. You need to learn how to talk right. And so, anyway, he hooked me up with Pastor Landry, and that's where I was till I become a pastor. And so I knew God had more for me. So this week when I was praying about what to preach today, I was just sitting there one morning in my prayer closet. And I don't know about you, but I have a prayer closet. And that's not necessarily a little closet I get into, although if you need to do that to get away from the world, get your closet. But a prayer closet, to me, is a place where you can get quiet before the Lord. And I can do that in a truck stop. I can do that in a restaurant. I can do that on a job. And what that is, has anybody here ever seen a turtle? Do you know they carry their house with them, a little house? And what do they do when they need to get alone? They just stick their head in. Their shell's there, but you don't see them because they went inside of somewhere. I could be sitting in the middle of a crowd, and I could withdraw myself from the crowd and go into my prayer closet. All I have to do is close my eyes and start talking to Jesus. And I can unhook from what's around me and get in my prayer closet where I connect with God and we start fellowshipping. So anyway, I was in my prayer closet, just happened to be in my house. And as I was praying, I just sitting there thinking about life. I was thinking about where I was last year at this time, which was, wasn't a pleasant place. I didn't really want to be there, but that's where I was. And I was thinking about where I am now. I'm very healthy, very healed, very conscious of my surroundings, very much in the flow with God. And not only that, but he's blessed me with a different geographical location, have a very, very beautiful place, and lots of things going on. I'm just sitting there in my chair. And I was thinking about these things. I said, thank you, Jesus, for when you connect me with Brother Hagen. Thank you, Lord, for when you connect me with Brother Copeland. Thank you, Jesus, you sent me to Pastor Landry. And I, I had a pastor that was my pastor that taught me the word of faith. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Because I know if I hadn't been taught how I was taught, I probably wouldn't be here this year. I'd probably be in heaven now. But because of what I was taught about healing, what I was taught about confession, my words, what I was taught about loving people, 
what I was taught about the value of the Word of God. That's why I went through the crisis I went through last year and came out successfully. God didn't send the crisis. I was in it. But God, through His Word, showed me how to get out of it. And I came out successfully. Let's give the Lord a hand. Give Him praise. And so, do you know who your church family is? And so, I knew that my church family was going to be Word of Faith people. So, 1 Corinthians 12.27, God calls born-again Christians members of the body of Christ. Say this, say, I'm a member of the body of Christ. And so, for your, for your filled in your blanks, when Christ, and Christ isn't Jesus' last name, Christ comes from Messiah, Christ means the anointed one with the anointing. Christ was the anointed one with the anointing. So when Christ, the anointed one, his anointing, walked the earth, now listen to this, his physical body was the body of Christ. His physical body at that time was the body of Christ because it was the body that Christ, the anointed one, lived and functioned through. How many know that Jesus needed a body to walk the streets of Jerusalem. Jesus needed a body to go through Samaria. Jesus needed a body to speak through, to see through, to love through, to pray through, to minister to people through. And so just like you and my physical bodies are where we live and function on the earth, today Christ lives and functions on earth through his spiritual body. He had a physical body. But now he has a spiritual body. You are the arms, the legs, the eyes, the mouth, the hands. The voice comes through you, the spiritual body. He said, we are the body of Christ. And so Christ's spiritual body is made up of every born-again Christian on the earth. How many know that Jesus was a spirit being He lived in that physical body. Amen. And so that when Jesus' body died, Jesus didn't die. Jesus was alive. Jesus went down into hell. He came back up. And when he came back up, Jesus did something we won't do. Jesus came back up and got back in his body and become a glorified body. And he took his body to heaven. Well, at some point in time, the Bible tells us, that God will open up all the graves and we'll get our bodies back at some point in time. And somebody said, well, I don't believe in cremation. I can't do cremation. What are we going to do? What are we going to do about how we get my body back? Same way as going to get back all the bodies of all the Christians who died and other things where the bodies were destroyed. If he made it the first time, he'll make it again because the Bible says he's going to reunite us, our spirit and our body again and we'll be glorified then. But until that point in time, right now, you don't see Bernie Samples. I'm in here looking out my windows. Amen. Bible says your eyes, the eye gate is how you, how you see what you do. And so if this body that I currently function in were to die like it almost did last year, you would have got to see a casket up here. You would have got to see the body that Pastor Samples used to live in. But Pastor Sample wouldn't have been laying in that body. He'd have been in heaven getting looked down at you. Because that was the body he used to live in. You see what I'm saying? You all live in a body 
but you're the one living in it. The body's not you. You're the spirit man, because when your body lays down, your spirit comes out. Amen. And so Jesus' body, Jesus' body was called the body of Christ. This is called the body of Bernie Samples, because this is the one I currently live in. So this is the body. The body's not Bernie Samples. It's the house he lives in. Amen. And so Jesus, when he walked the earth, he lived in the physical body of Christ. But when he went to heaven, he sent his spirit down, and all call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's called the new birth. That's called born again. And so when you're born again, you become part of the spiritual body. Amen. I want you to get this. This is really important. Why is that? Because I want you to win in life. If you don't line up your spiritual life the best you can with the Word of God, then you're only going to live a mediocre Christian life. God wants you to live a supernatural Christian life. He wants you to live a victorious Christian life. If, God forbid, you get attacked with blood cancer or one of your kids gets crippled, God wants you to be able to reach up into heaven and pull healing out and get you healed. If your family gets hit, gets hit, with financial crisis. God wants you to do what Pastor Dave taught. God wants you to be able to look up to heaven and say, Lord, I'm claiming my tither's rights. I thank you, Father, for rebuking the devourer. I thank you for your blessings poured out of my family. He wants you to be able to reach up into heaven and get what's yours. Amen? And so the more you line up with the Word of God, then the more you can be able to receive what's yours. And, you know, I I want to say this. God doesn't have any favorites but when you have favorite word, you become one of his favorites. God wants you to be able to know the word of God, to speak the word of God, and live in line with the word of God. And so today, Christ lives and functions on earth through his spiritual body, and that's every born-again Christian. Now, I want you to look at verse 18. And I didn't write the Bible I just teach the Bible. And when I teach the Bible, I'm not teaching what I want people to believe. I'm teaching what God said and what God wants you to believe. And so, for all the different blessings of the Bible you like about God blessing you in the city, blessing you in the field, of God uh, giving you promotion and abundance and giving you a good wife or giving you a good husband, all those different things, this verse here is in the Bible too, and it needs to become one of your verses that you really know. It says, but now hath God set the members, and you're a member, right? It says you are. Members, every one of them, in the body, because Grandma likes it. Because the driving distance is very convenient. Because they have a pretty building, not an ugly building. Because this is more traditional church that believes like like, like, like we ought to believe. It says, God sets everyone in the body as it hath pleased who? Him. Who do you want to please? Who do you want to please? It says, God sets each member in the body as it pleases Him. And now listen to this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to write some things down. I wrote the other day, but I was looking at this verse that God was giving me this message. God knows the number of every hair on your head. Do you know that Jesus said that God knows the number of every hair on your head? Well, you know, I used to hear preachers say, I walk close to Jesus when I read the Bible. 
I let Jesus tell me what it was he really said. A lot of Christians say, well, God says he knows how many hairs you got on your head. That's not what Jesus said. He said he knows the number on every hair. How many people live on this planet today? Several billion. Isn't that something? That's somebody over in the middle of Timbuktu be combing their hair. And those hairs are laying there. They're brushed or on the counter. And if you ask God, said, what's that number? God said, well, that's number 1,268. Okay. Well, how smart are you? How about this one over here? Well, that's number 10,982. God is that smart that God knows the number of every hair. He knows the number that's on that hair. How many believe God's that smart? That's what Jesus said, knows the number of every hair on your head. He knew you when you're in your mother's womb. How many know the Bible says that? That God knows every baby that's in the womb. He knows who they are. He's got a plan for their life. He knows when you go to bed. He knows when you get up. Guess what? God even knows where you work at. He knows who your friends are. He knows how you think. He knows what you like to do for fun and recreation. How many believe that God does know all that stuff? Knows everything about you. In other words, God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows you better than you know yourself. How many believe that? Amen. I'll tell you what, it's really, you know, I really want to make sure I connect today because God wants to help you. We hear things like that, and we say we believe things like that, yet we go around through life floundering about serious decisions and never talk to the one that knows the answer. We go through life, and we get so distracted and so overcome with the pressures of life, we don't stop to check in with headquarters about serious decisions. Am I, am I preaching to the choir or what? Is this how we live? We get so caught up in life, so much pressure is going on, that pro- probably more of you can tell me all the different things wrong with the country right now that you're hearing on the news every day, more you can tell me Bible verses. How many here thinks that God knows what's wrong with our country? How many thinks that he knows who should be the president ten elections from now? Or congressman or whatever. And so our job is not to be so caught up with the worries of the world, but to find out what God has to say about our life individually. Because when we're at the right place at the right time, our world will be taken care of. Amen. You know something that uh, the Lord gave me as a pastor back in Indiana probably 25 years ago or longer is this part of our, part of our vision is this. We, these individual members of the body of Christ here, we're changing the world one person at a time, starting with ourselves, and then our family, at our church, at our workplace, at our city. But if we as individuals don't change first, we can't change anybody for the better. But every time that we change for the better, we become a more God influence. How many know that we're influencers? We're going to influence somebody every day, good or bad. And so if we come to church 
that we get influenced by the Word of God where it gives us the desire to change and then we actually make the changes, then we're going to have more anointing. We're going to have more faith. We're going to have more grace. We're going to have more what it takes to be the right influence on our family, on our co-workers, on lost people we don't know. And so we're changing the world one person at a time, starting with me, starting with you. Let's, let's just say, let's say, I'm changing the world. One person at a time. Start with myself. Then my family. My job. My city. And my nation. Amen. Amen. And so God knows you better than you know yourself. God, now listen to this. According to this verse right here, God knows who he has planned to be your pastor. It says he sets each member of the body that pleases him, doesn't it? It says, God knows who he has planned to be your pastor and who his perfect will is to be your church family. God knows already in advance when you were in the womb where he wanted you to go to church at. And so I didn't make this up. The Bible says it. And I want to say this again. I'm not recruiting church members. I got delivered from that in July of 1993. July of 1993. When I was a young pastor, I was in, I was in a small city, Martinsville, Indiana, and we'd started our church in November of 1992. I'd never had a guest speaker yet. We were a little church, a new church, and uh, I met this evangelist I really liked, and I wanted to bring him into our church. But I thought, man, we're just little. I want, to, I want to have somebody here besides just this, you know, 50 people we got or wherever we had. And so I talked to another guy who had a small church right around the corner. We were both on the square, the courthouse square, Hartsville, Indiana. And so I talked to him. I said, hey, Tom, I got this guy coming to my church. I said, he's really good. But I said, uh, I'd, I'd just really like, really like to have some people coming. I said, I said, would you work with me? I said, you bring your congregation over to my church Sunday morning, fill up some seats. And then we'll have the speaker at your church Sunday night, and I'll bring them all over there. And with your people, my people, he'll get to cut two services. They've got a lot of people in it. And so anyway, uh, Pastor Tom said, yeah, I'm still Facebook buddies with him. He's still pastor too. Anyway, anyway, uh, I said, okay, we'll do that. And so Sunday night, we had a crowd. Sunday morning crowd went back to his Sunday night. I'm sitting in his church Sunday night up at the front looking back. And I looked around. And when I looked around out there, most of the people in his church Sunday night were people in my church. And so I was sitting there as a young pastor, learning in life. How many know that there's baby pastors like there's baby Christians? Everything you do in life, you have to learn and begin to walk in it. And so I'd been a Christian for a number of years, preached for a number of years, but I was a baby pastor taking baby steps to learn how to be a pastor. And so I sat there, and I just kind of sit there, on the inside, I was doing this really puffed up with pride because of all those people that were from my church. And so I sit there, I was thinking, wow, most of these people are my people. And then I heard the voice of God talk to me. I don't like it when he talks to me like he talks to me sometimes, but I receive it. I heard this. None of them are your people. They're all my people. And none of them would be there if I hadn't sent them. When God said that, I got delivered as a young pastor of thinking I could control church growth. 
I can do things to set up things the best I know how to do. I can pray. I can preach. I can plan what I know. And look at these faces right here. None of you would be here if God hadn't sent you. And so therefore, some pastors get really messed up when they go through seasons where they're not having many people they'd like to have in their churches, et cetera, et cetera. Some of them really do get puffed up where they think, oh, we had to go to two services. We go three services. Oh, ho, ho, ho. La-di-da. I'm going to pray. I'm going to study. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to do all the natural things that I know we're supposed to do, make it easy for people to come to church, but I'm not going to get shook if we have empty seats because people are on vacation. I'm not going to get shook if people get transferred to other cities, and I'm not going to get puffed up if all of a sudden we got a thousand people, 500 people. You know why? God sets each member of the body as it pleases Him. So I'm totally satisfied that I'm going to follow Him. I want to keep on growing and growing and growing and growing. Why is that so you have a big church? No, because the more people get to hear this word, the more people get victory, will mean the more people they can help and help people get born again and go to heaven. I'd like to have all the people God wants in this church so we can influence the people in this church about healing, salvation, prosperity, family life, married life, how to be a good employer, how to be a good employee, how to be a soul winner for Jesus Christ. And the more people that we get influenced with God's Word, then the better our city's going to be, the better our state's going to be, the better our nation's going to be. You never know in a church service, the young kids coming, young kids to us are just important as the old people. You never know where those young kids might be a president someday, might be a governor someday, might be a California Supreme Court justice someday or United States Supreme Court justice. You don't know who's out there. Might be a great preacher and might be a great school teacher. I tell you, I love to influence school teachers because all the little, little kids, they get to talk to and things like that. But I think about the people that we've always got to know as pastors it doesn't make any difference how old they are, how young they are. We love them. We teach them. We help them grow. You know, I, I remember a story I heard one time. There was a, a guy on a, you know, the tour bus type thing, taking a tour around seeing different places, come to this small town, and he came out on the city square, the place where, you know, the old guys sitting around talking like that, and walked up this old man, and he said, Hey, I just got a question to ask you. You know, we're going around these cities seeing things. Were there ever any great men born here? And the guy stopped and said, no, just babies. No, oh, that, 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 that's funny, but it's very real. You never know what your child's going to become. But the main thing is, if you head them in the right direction spiritually, keep them going the right direction, they can become great. But the main thing is... If they end up being a, being a Walmart worker, a McDonald's worker, or a college president, doesn't make any difference. When they're, when they're in the will of God following after Jesus, God needs these influencers at Walmart. God needs these influencers at McDonald's. God needs people influencers as college presidents. In other words, God needs Christians everywhere. And so you never judge somebody by their status in life. You judge the fruit, Jesus said. Amen. Or they bear Christian fruit. Amen. Somebody clap again or something. I don't, I don't want you going to sleep on me.
Now, so anyway, Jesus said, he's the one that sends the people to church. Now, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. And Jesus said, this passage here is about praying. It says, be ye not therefore like unto them religious people, just pray at all kinds of religious prayers. He says, look at this. Now, here's what I want you to see. For your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask Him. He said He knows what you have need, but He wants you to ask Him. He says, God knows what you need. But he wants that relationship with you. He wants you to talk with him. He wants you to communicate. He wants you to invite him for his wisdom, his plan, his purpose in your life. He wants communication out of you. And so God knows what you have need of, he said. But we know 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen says God's the one that sets each member of the body as it pleases him. He's the one that puts you there. And so although God already knows who he has chosen to be your pastor church family, God expects you to ask him where your church home is. Can you see that? God expects you to ask him where your church home is. The spiritual always determines the natural, good or bad. The first spiritual connection you've got to have in life, before you have a husband, before you have a wife, before you have a job, first connection you've got to have is your spiritual father, your spiritual family. You are a spirit being. Book of Hebrews says God is the father of spirits. Your spirit got born again, not your physical body. When you die, your physical body, it will die. Your born again spirit will live forever. Jesus said the word of God is spiritual food. He said man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So you need to ask God where you belong. I want to say that again. Christians need to put first things first. You don't shop for a church like you shop for a house. It's okay to check out churches, but listen with your heart, not your head. I know too many Christians that for years and years and years and years, have stayed in places that aren't very strong in the Word of God, aren't very strong in spiritual things, but they're strong in politics. They're strong in political correctness. They're strong in cultural things they think is so good culturally. But when they hit a time of crisis, they don't have any help because it wasn't there, because they didn't ask God where they're supposed to be at in church. So anyway, he wants you to ask. I want you to look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And if you're listening with your spiritual hearts today, this is helping you. And as it's helping you, I know that, uh, you know, that the church crowd we have today in here is people that are hooked up. They know God has them here. I know that. But this is what he has me to preach. And so if you're searching... This is showing you directions for search and not to say that High Desert Word Center is your church. But listen, Jesus is so you show you who your church is. At the same times, if you have fellow Christians, and I'm not 
called anybody to ever bring anybody out of a church. If you've got fellow Christians, whether they live in Barstow or some other state, and they're going through things, you need to be able to teach this lesson to them to show them what the Bible says about their spiritual life. What the Bible has to say so that they can make decisions how Jesus said, your father knows what you have need of, but he wants you to ask him. Let them know, and let them know sometimes, did you seek God about where you're going to church? Did you even ask him, is this where you belong? Amen. And so, Acts chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 says this. Talking about how many know who Peter is in the Bible? One of the apostles. Who John is in the Bible? Another apostle. And so, says this. And being let go, they went to their own company. And their own company means their home church. Where God had them. Went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, their church family heard that, they lift up their voice to God with one accord. Lift up their voice to God with one accord. Now I want to tell you what was going on here. When you read Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Peter and John, if you're familiar with the Bible, if you've been a Christian while, you probably heard, you probably read this story. Peter and John, we're going to the temple, says at the hour of prayer. In other words, the temple had a prayer meeting every day they went to prayer. Well, there's a crippled man that was 43 years old, had been crippled ever since he was born. And when they walked to the temple, he was, he was, a, he was like a beggar. He sat there like three people in Barstow. And says he was asking alms, he was asking for money. And so they said, silver and gold have I none. But since as I have, give by thee of the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And so that man got healed. And so when he got healed, the religious people, the priests, the religious ones, they didn't like that because they said in the name of Jesus. And they didn't like the name of Jesus. So as you read all of chapter 3, all of chapter 4 at this point in time, they arrested Peter and John for preaching the name of Jesus. And during the midst of their preaching... It says that 5,000 people got saved. Well, I'll tell you what, for religious people, that wasn't good. That means 5,000 slaves to their religion just left. So now all of a sudden, 5,000 people saved. And everywhere that Peter and John's going, they said, Jesus did it, Jesus did it, Jesus did it. Well, these religious people are the same ones that killed Jesus. And so Jesus said he's going to be coming back from the dead. And so when they said this, that that's make these religious people look like fools. Because they killed him, but these guys said he didn't stay dead. So he got healed. And so then it says that they went to their own company, their own church. And then it says they told all that what happened. They were in a crisis right now because these religious people wanted to kill them. And so as they lift up their voice to God with one accord. Lift up their voice to God with one accord. So at this point in time in Jerusalem... There was a minimum, minimum of 8,120 believers. Now, I want to tell you how that number comes from, right out of the Bible. On the day of Pentecost, about 120 people were praying. So already there's 120 believers because they were believers praying to receive the Holy Ghost. And then, as soon as, soon as, soon as they got finished praying, Peter went out and preached, and it says 3,000 people were converted, become Christians. So there's 3,120. And so then in this sermon here, in chapter 3, chapter 4, says 5,000 more got saved. 
3,000, 5,000, and then you got 120. And also in the middle of all this teaching, it says that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so there's a big point in this here. And so there's a minimum of 8,120 believers there. That's a lot of Christians in little Jerusalem. That's a lot of, that's a lot of church groups. But Peter and John knew who God had them hooked up with. That would surround them with love and faith and stand with them in times of crisis and not judge them. How many know there's some Christian groups that will judge you when you're in trouble? You get sick, you lose your job, having marriage problems, having kid problems. A lot of Christian groups say, well, she brought it on herself. You go to them for prayer. Well, you know, he was stupid the things he did. He should have done things he did. Harvest, harvest, harvest. Goes around, comes around. We all know that's true. Nobody in here is without sin. Jesus said, he's, he's without sin, let him cast the first stone. None of them did. In times of crisis, you come to your church family that God has you with. He said, he's member of the bodies that please him. You come to your church family. You already know what you did was like an idiot. The other idiots you go to church with know like an idiot. But when you're in the right family, they're going to gather around. And they're going to say, man... You already told us how stupid it was. I know you've repented. I know you're doing the best you can now. Church family, let's gather around. It's time to pray. Church family, let's say, okay, let's throw stones. Man, you already knew how stupid you were. God already forgave you. If you're at the right church family, they're not going to judge you. They're going to stand around and say, well, praise the Lord. He fell again, but we're going to get him up again. She did it again. We're going to help her again. Jesus said, how many times forgive your brother? Seven times 70. Seven times 70 in one day. If you're not in the right church family, and that love's not working there how it's supposed to, you're in times of crisis, you're going to get down. Say, will you pray for me? The God said, no, we got rocks in our hands. Just lay down there. Go to pummel you. Uh, Mrs. Pastor, would you come up and share that text from this morning? Amen. And you know, as you share that, I want to share this again. In the right church family, when you're 86, 87 years old, and you're trying to finish out your life with joy, the right church family is going to help you make this last leg. When you're in the right church family, and you're getting transitioned to another city, 150 miles away, you got a church family going to gather around you. Say, man, we're going to back you in prayer. We're going to release it on to God. But anyway, Mrs. Pastor, I'll turn my mic off. But share this text. She shared this with me on the way to church this morning. I said, man, you're preaching my sermon. Hallelujah. Well, um, you know, many of you know that our daughter Annie lives in Fairbanks, Alaska, and uh, her husband Colin's getting out of the military in September. So Janelle and Dennis Colby come up to me the other day, and they say, uh, we're taking a cruise to Fairbanks, Alaska. And so all I could think of was, Fairbanks is inland. How are you going to take a cruise to Fairbanks, you know? So I probably look like a dumb dummy, you know, just standing there staring at her. How's that going to happen? Yeah. How are you going to get from the ocean over there all the way to Fairbanks? But anyway, what happened was they took a, a air, land, and sea cruise. So they ended up in Fairbanks, Alaska this past week. 
And so uh, Dennis and uh, Janelle took uh, Annie and her family out to dinner. And so I just wanted to thank her. So I said, thank you so much for taking Annie and family to dinner, especially for taking the time. It really blessed them. When you told them you were ta- when you told me you were taking a cruise to Fairbanks, all I could think of was Fairbanks is inland. You know, I already said that. Anyway, um, she said we had a great time. She's so easy to talk to, and it was nice meeting Colin. I felt bad messaging her at the last minute, but they didn't give us much time anywhere once we left the ship. And I said your visit with them is helping to pave their way back here. I said Cletus is looking for a job at them at Fort Irwin, and Kathy Donaldson is sending them jobs by email. She said, I felt it was so important to touch base with them. And I said, you were definitely being led by the Holy Ghost, and I'm so thankful you did. And she said, you all feel like family, and we can't ignore family. Isn't that cool? And, you, you know, I'll, I'll say something else I was, th- I was thinking of. You know, First Corinthians 12 talks about comparing the spiritual body to the physical body. Well, how many know that for you, the best heart you could have is not a transplanted heart, but your own heart? The best lungs you could have is not a lung transplant, but your own lungs. Sometimes in the natural, these transplants work. Sometimes they don't. And praise God for modern uh uh, medical science that could do things like that. But, you know, we praise God for the ones that have had transplants, but you're a whole lot better if you're own. And sometimes church transplants take, sometimes they don't. I said that to say this. Dennis and Janelle Copey, the one she's talking about, got married at this church over 50 years ago when this church started a Newberry Springs school. They've been in this church for I don't know how many years, I don't know uh, for their age, uh, the school may have been going, the church may have been going a little while, but it's close to 50 years probably, somewhere around 50 years. They have stayed planted and part of the body that God had them in for all these years. And I think about that statement right there. They're not brand new church people. They've been here, what, three, four times longer than I've been here. Been here a long, 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 long time, but she said, feels like family. Well, when you're you're in your family, why would you want to hunt for another family? Now, somebody gets transferred to another city, that's different because God's the one that's watching what goes on. But in your own family, your heart's going to be good in that body. Your lungs are going to work good in that body. Your eyes, your ears, your nose, your parts are going to work good when you're in the right body that God's got you in. And sometimes there may be some malfunctions, but you pray, you get healed, you get through it. Amen. Doing better preaching than you are shouting. And so anyway, your home church is a place of comfort, safety, peace, strength, restoration in times of crisis. Restoration in times of crisis. That's a fill in the blank if you don't see it on the screen yet. It's a place of restoration in times of crisis. And so too many Christians know in their heart they need to ask God where they belong. They don't want to because of various reasons. Because of driving comfort. I know that uh, 
back when I got, I told you I found my pastor in 1980. And I stayed with that church till I started pastoring. At one point in time, we drove 50 miles one way to go to church. Through ice storms, rain storms, any kind of weather. I taught a healing class there, so we had to leave really early to get there in time to teach the healing class, the things we did. But I said all that to get to this. We had a place there called the First Timers Room, and uh, the church leaders, different ones. We went to this big room, and new people would come to the church. We always back there. They had they had coffee and punch and things like that every Sunday morning. You met the new people, shook their hands, told about the church. Well, this I remember this one family one day was there, and he said, "Well, where, where do you live at?" I said, "We live in Perrigan." He said, "That's a long ways." I said, "If I lived in Kentucky, which is about 120 miles there." I said, it wouldn't be too far to drive to stay in the will of God. I said, 50 miles has nothing to do with the will of God. God knows that when I made the choice that we go live in Perrigan, that I knew that's getting away from my church, but I didn't get away from my church. I just got up early to go to church. And we went three times a week. So I want to close by looking at it. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. Romans 10, verse 8. And this is going to help you in identifying your church, especially to other people. Romans 10, verse 8. Uh, not, a, not a trick question, but who was the man, I know the Holy Spirit inspired you, but who was the man that wrote the book of Romans? Not a trick question. Who wrote Romans? Paul did. Did Paul have to write any other parts of the Bible? Like two-thirds of the New Testament. Does everybody, you know, I, I know the preacher set people up, but I hate it when they do that to me. That's why I never raise my hand. <laughs> but how many know that Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? Paul did. And so God didn't think Paul was a dummy, and Paul wasn't a dummy. He was a very spiritual man that knew Jesus. And knew God. Well, Paul said, and this is helping you about identifying your church. Paul said this, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, near thee, even thy mouth and in thy heart. Now look at this. That is the word of faith which we preach. Paul said, I preach the word of faith. And so when your family and friends ask what kind of church you go to, it's nice to be able to tell them. Basically, people know what a Baptist church is, right? You know who the Baptists are. Catholics. You know who the Catholics are, right? Pentecostals. Many other denominations. But Paul said, I'll paraphrase this, paraphrase this. Paul said, my company is word of faith. You know, I, I got a, a, I'm friends with one of the Baptist deacons at the First Baptist Church. And I, and I like to tease him this way sometimes. And he doesn't get offended. I don't get offended. I said, well, John was a Baptist. But Paul was a Pentecostal. <laughs> I tell him that. And, uh, you know, and so people that are Christians don't get offended if somebody speaks in tongues. And we don't get offended if they don't speak in tongues. You know, a lot of, a lot of people are awesome Christians but not tongue talkers. And don't get mad at us because we are tongue talkers. You know, we are, you're not. But we go to heaven not because we speak in tongues. We don't speak in tongues. Go to heaven because Jesus is our Lord and Savior. You know what that's called? Different companies. 
The company called the Baptists most of the times aren't tongue talkers. The ones called uh, the uh, Catholics most of the time aren't tongue talkers. Pentecostals most of the time are tongue talkers. Different companies. Peter and John went to their own company. We go to our company. I do some things sometimes with a company called the Baptist. I do things sometimes with a company called the Church of God in Christ. We're different companies. You know, they had 8,120 believers minimum in Jerusalem at that time. I don't know how many believers are in this area right now at this time, but they don't all go to one church. But if they're Jesus' church, they're part of my body. I'm part of them. But I know who my body is and what I'm saying. So paraphrase, Paul said, my company is word of faith. Paul said, the word of faith which we preached. And so if Paul preached the word of faith, would that make him a word of faith preacher? He said, I preach the word of faith. He's a word of faith preacher. And so many times, because we're not in the Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran denominations, people call us non-denominational. Non-denominational covers a lot of ground. That's just a phrase people come up with because they don't know what to call some people because they're not Baptist or Catholics or Presbyterians or whatever. And so you can say that. A lot of groups identify with that. We are a Word of Faith church. We're Word of Faith pastors. We're not ashamed of it. We're proud because we belong to Jesus. And Jesus put us in the Word of Faith company. And I think it's good company if Paul was word of faith. Then I think I'm in pretty good company because Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And, you know, it has nothing to do with pride. It has everything to do with knowing where God said he's member of the body. God sent me in word of faith. And if you're part of this church because this is where, you know, this is where God wants you to be. God sent you in the word of faith company. It's who we are. And so we're not out here by ourselves we're not separated from other groups of Christians. Dr. Mark T. Barclay is our pastor, and as I already said, he's got hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people that are part of his group. The Hagans, mentored by Brother Hagan, taught by Brother Hagan and Brother Copeland. We have hundreds of thousands of people, you know, people, they call it denomination. If you want to call it denomination, we're part of the Word of Faith denomination, if you want to call it that. I say a lot of people, because we're not as uh, multitudes or as famous as the Baptists are, they don't know what we are. But you need to know who you are. And so we're Word of Faith. We're also members of AFCM. That's Association of Faith Churches Ministers. We were licensed ordained under them back in 1993. So we've been around this for a long time. We're not by ourselves. You need to know who your family is. Your Word of Faith. As we're connected with hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Word of Faith people around the world. And so the main thing is for you, do you know who your church family is? You're a member of the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. Make sure you're at the right place in the right family. Now, if you're praying about a church and checking us out, then just seek. Jesus said, knock, seek, and ask, and God will give you the answers. He said he sets you in the body where it pleases him. And so when you're a Christian, you never have to be confused wondering, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. Quit wondering. God said, I'll put you where I want you. Would you know it, if you, would you know it in your heart? Sometimes, sometimes 
you have to offend some family members. My grandma was a good Baptist. She prayed me into the family of God. I got born again. God didn't make me Baptist. God made me a Holy Ghost Christian. So me and grandma loved each other to the day she went to heaven. I'm eternally grateful that grandma prayed me into the family of God. But then God said, I want you to hook up with Word of Faith. So that's who I am. So all I can tell you is just make sure you're at the right family at the right time. And let me just throw one more thing at you. If I had the choice in between offending God and offending a religious relative, I don't want to offend God. I want to be where I'm supposed to be. And if I get friends that get mad, I look at it when I was a baby Christian, friends got mad because I'd become a word of faither. Well, I'm still alive, still winning. I have a strong family, have a strong life. It's because I'm where God wants me to be doing what he wants me to be doing. So anyway, do you know who your family is? Make sure you do. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.